Welcome to the Our San Gabriel Valley podcast. This podcast is for anyone who has a growth mindset, is passionate about self-development, and is interested in building wealth through real estate while enjoying a balanced life of work and play. It's no longer just about the destination and grinding through. You can travel. You can treat yourself often. You can spend quality time with friends and family while enjoying the occasional avocado toast. Everything is possible when you plan for it and allow life to give you what you deserve. My name is Sebastian. And my name is Salud. We look forward to sharing our journey as a married couple and business partners in the hopes of giving you unique industry insights, home buying, investing, and selling tips, and highlighting our favorite spots and things to do in our community of San Gabriel Valley. Okay, this is Sebastian, and we're about to let someone in right now. So, welcome to uh, our class for Pasadena City College. This is going to be rental properties and building wealth. My name is Sebastian. I work. Uh, I work with my wife, and we have been working for a while now. And uh, we are realtors in Pasadena, California, at Keller Williams Realty. Before that, I did go to school to be a teacher, and uh, I was teaching middle school and high school for some time, so a teaching credential in uh, multiple subjects, and I was teaching physical education, kinesiology classes, physiology classes, and um, I also taught some courses at, the, at Cal State Northridge, and that was in the kinesiology department. And so initially as a, as a grad student teacher and then as a, as a teacher also there, but I only had a couple of classes there. So just to kind of get my feet wet before teaching in middle school and high school. And so then uh, I did that for some time. I was a personal trainer. And so that I think it helped me a lot also because of kinesiology. And then while doing that, uh, I got my feet wet into real estate because my brother indirectly was in real estate and uh, we did a flip with one of his friends. So we flipped the property and I came in with the funding for the construction portion of that. So I think I put in $25,000 into that one and um, the return was my $25,000 back and I made another 30000 on top of it, which is kind of unusual really. So it was over a hundred percent of my return on my investment. And so that really sparked something in me to say, well, as a teacher, I'm making about $40,000 a year working a lot of hours. And in three months I earned over $30,000 in one flip in real estate. And so that got my wheels turning. And, um, I started thinking about real estate and life in a different way. And so that was in flipping properties. So I think I went into real estate more as an investor in flipping properties. And then I became a realtor. And now I've been in real estate over 10 years, helping buyers, sellers, investors. And we do a little bit of everything where we help, um, we help investors purchase the property. And then with renovations and additions, new construction. So a little bit different from your normal uh, realtor. And so I think, and we're trying to create a niche for ourselves because if you go on Zillow right now, you could probably get 100, 200 different realtors. And so it's uh, very difficult to stand out. And so that's how we stand out in the masses. And so we help people create something that's not on the market. And so we'll get into that today because uh, uh, 
we help people with conversions of garages into ADUs and how that's helping a lot of homeowners and a lot of investors create cash flow in a place in California where, where the houses are so expensive that cash flow is very difficult here in Los Angeles specifically. So I think if you go to the outskirts, like in San Bernardino, Fontana, or if you go to the other side on the, on the east, um, maybe Sun Valley, Pacoima, those places, houses tend to be a little bit less in price, a little bit cheaper. And so then you can put, you still have to put a bigger down payment for you to be able to cash flow out here. And so how do we get away from that is the question, right? Because I can go to Ohio and put $60,000 on a house and buy it outright and make seven, $800 a month. And so it, it, it brings another set of, of barriers to invest outside of California, but it's something that's doable. But now you're, th now you have to think about, do I want cash flow, or do I want appreciation? And uh, I used to think, honestly, I used to think that you could do a little, well, you can do both. And in a lot of cases, you can do a combination, but really mentally, you have to decide, do I want cash flow, or do, you, do I want appreciation? And here in California, a lot of people buy because of appreciation, unless you put 20, 30, 40, 50% down on a house, and then you can cash flow from it. But then when you look at the numbers and you put in 200,000 to cash flow $500 a month, the return on, invested, on investment is gonna be very small, where if you put 20% on $60,000 in Ohio, then your investment is so small then even if you're making 100 200 a month the return on investment becomes bigger right so that's a math problem and you just have to look at real estate in uh in those terms is a math problem that's the way it is so let's start let's start the the class awesome so this is rental properties and long-term wealth but you have to separate rental properties into one to four units and then four units and on and even you can separate it further to say residential and commercial because then there's a whole array of different things that you can talk about when it comes to commercial and multifamily. but in this case this is very foundational and this is really the like rental properties 101 and so we're going to be focused on one to four units if you want to have a conversation later on about multifamily, then, you know, I do a lot of um, other meetups and other, other things that we do also. And those are a lot of them are for free. So I encourage you guys to stay in touch. But for the purposes of this class, we're going to be talking about one to four units and then really how to start and how to, how to begin building wealth. And so, you know, a lot of people say, when is the best time? to buy real estate, right? A lot of people try to time the market. And so the best time to buy real estate is five or 10 years ago. And it's always gonna be the case. So I, you know, someone that, my mentor that said it to me, you know, he got me because I was like, oh, maybe in the winter. In the <laughs> and that wasn't the point of that comment. I mean, the point is, you're always gonna have made a great decision 10 years from now. And whether you buy a condo, a duplex, a fourplex, is always time is on your side. And I know there's different cycles within the market. And right now we're experiencing, you know, the height of a cycle. But you're, you'll see that cycles 
go up in a ladder. They don't go just in, 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 in a circle. They go up in a ladder. And what I mean by that is that it goes up and down, but it's going up at the same time. So when you look at it in, in, a, in a term of 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, the line is going up but it's still going up and down depending on where you are in the cycle. So a lot of cycles are between seven and 10 years. That's true. And so right now we're experiencing one of the longest cycles that uh, we have experienced ever. And I don't see it slowing down, honestly. A lot of people thought that the quarantine and COVID was gonna slow it down. And I can tell you that personally, we slowed down maybe the first two weeks of of the quarantine. And after those two weeks, we started doing Zoom and, and meeting people and adapting to all the protocols. And we have been super busy throughout the, the quarantine and, you know, wearing masks and gloves and booties when showing houses. But we have, we have been extremely busy and uh, houses are selling and buyers are buying. And so right now, what you need to pay attention to is interest rates and uh, inventory. Inventory is extremely low. Usually you're in a buyer's market if inventory goes above six months and you're in a seller's market if inventory goes below six months. And right now we're hovering around two months of inventory. So that means that in the next two months, if no more houses come onto the market, we're gonna run out in less than two months with the current inventory. So supply and demand, when we have low inventory, prices stay up. And right now with the low interest rates, we're having a lot of buyers come to the market. So we have about a thousand buyers on average per one home. A thousand buyers competing for one home. Right now we put a property uh, for sale on Monday in Fontana, and we have 19 offers, $30,000 above list price. It's crazy. And the property is only, we listed it for 389. Now is, uh, we're over 425 for the price, and we're getting cash offers even for it. So it's so crazy how the market is so constricted right now. And a lot of people think that COVID right now is. Uh, is going to bring the market down. If you guys don't know about this, so write this down, biggerpockets.com. Biggerpockets.com. That's like a, I have nothing to do with them, but I, I'm a part of, it's like a Facebook for investors. We're briefly interrupting this episode to let you know about our new passion project called Kicks for Kids. Every time that we help a family and close a real estate transaction for a buyer, seller, or investor, we will be gifting a new pair of soccer shoes to a deserving soccer player in our San Gabriel Valley soccer community. We hope that this program can morph into much more in the future and we are able to do more towards these children's education, soccer life, and future. For now, you can help our efforts by sharing this program and by letting people know that we are here to help them with any of their real estate needs. Go to the link on our website to learn how to nominate your deserving soccer superstar today. I'll be sure to leave a link for you in the show notes. Thanks so much for listening and now let's get back to the episode. The information on there is is pretty pretty useful and so they have insights about markets, they have investors that have been investing for 30-40 years, they have other other trades on there also. 
and so I follow them for a lot of things. And so, so I, I'm part of that forum and investors, you know, that's what they were saying. Every investor, and I'm assuming that even some of you were saying, I'm, I'm waiting for the recession for me to buy. And so now the reset, well, the recession, the economic recession is here. But now I'm saying to the investors, well, how come you're not buying? I mean, I thought you were waiting for the recession. How come you're not buying? And it's not that easy because people think that the headlines are going to be real estate, 30% lower than it was yesterday. And it's not happening. And with some of our buyers on a case-by-case basis, we're getting pro- we've gotten a property to close 100000 below asking, but it didn't say it on the headline. It's just we put an offer in, we negotiated, we did inspections, and then we negotiated that 100000 below. So I think the misconception is that you, people think somewhere on social media or the news, something is going to be advertised out there that real estate is, for, is selling for a discount. And it's, that's just not the case. And so you have to be mindful of that because a lot of the times if a property is for 600000 you can put an offer at 600000 and then negotiate a lower price with inspections and those things. But it's also having to do a lot with leverage. And so if there's 10 offers on the property, then when you do that, they're simply going to cancel on you and then go with the next best offer. So it really has to do with days on market, inventory, leverage. And so keep in mind when you do that, because I don't think real estate is just as of now is not trending down. The next slide we were going to talk about what is your freedom number? And so your freedom number is going to be that number that you, so you would have to do your expenses, your overhead and do the math on that to say, okay, my, the minimum amount of money that I need to make per month is X so that I can pay all my overhead. And this is not talking about luxuries, not talking about going out to eat. This is simply just my mortgage, my elect, you know, all my utilities, maybe your car payment, all of that stuff. So let's just say that that's $3,000. And then, so you have to say, okay, my freedom number then is $3,000. And then if you, now you can add is, is powerful to know that that first initial number because that's going to give you a mental goal of where you need to be and then obviously uh we're talking about um quality of life also so let's just take a let's just make up a number and say maybe you want to make five thousand dollars a month and that's without having to work so this would say that i'm going to buy enough rental property so that the cash flow on the property were $5,000 so that I, I have the option of working or not working, right? And so if that's the case and you do the math when you create your goals, right? So $5,000 is the, the number you want to hit. Now, every property you buy, if you're making $500 per property cash flow net, then that would mean that you would have to have 10 properties to make $5,000 a month, right? And so right now I see some people writing. And so write down that freedom number. Maybe you haven't thought about it uh, enough, but it's something that you can do in the next couple of days, maybe over the weekend. And I would suggest that you guys uh, take a look at your expenses and write down 
what would that number have to be? Because I think creating a goal would enable you to set out a plan to reach that goal. And then why do you want to reach that goal also? So it's just not enough to say, I want to make five, $10,000 a month in cash flow. You also have to identify the why because that's, that's the, the, the focus and the main thing that's going to allow you to move forward. And, uh, and in those times of stress, in the times that you're, maybe you're struggling to hit those goals, then your why is going to allow you to move forward in that way. Today's class, we're going to touch on um, what are the different strategies? How can you start also? We're going to touch on how to build your teams, what makes a good uh, rental property and how to look at markets. We're going to touch on how to find the right, uh, what encompasses the right team also, right? So is it a contractor? Is it an architect? Is it a realtor? And uh, how can you put yourself in that situation to meet that team? And how do you put yourself in a situation to interview that team also, right? So that you can have uh, the right people in place. When it comes to starting off, a lot of people want to start off small. A lot of people, I, I think it really depends on, on your capital. It depends on your purchasing power. So I know some of you already own your own personal property and some have rental property already. And so there's uh, in, on bigger pockets also, they talk a lot about the stack uh, system or method. So the stack, like stacking things on top of each other. And so the stack method uh, says that you're going to start small, but the point is when you start small, so let me give you an example. So say some of you are debating whether, oh man, should I buy a condo? Should I buy a house? And it really depends. Do you already own a place, right? And so we're going to assume that you're starting off, you don't own a house. And so you start off with a condo. And so is a condo a smart decision? Well, you have to take uh, different, different things into account. So the HOA is going to lower your cash flow. Uh, the good thing is that it's going to be low maintenance. And so then you can start off with a condo. And so there's a lot of pros and cons. And so that's why you would talk to a realtor and go through the pros and cons and see if that's something that's going to work for you. Um, but the stack method is going to say you start off with a condo, you get experience with it, and then you would uh, then wait a couple of years, get some experience, and then graduate to a single family home. At that point, you would rent out the condo, and then you would buy a single family home. Then a single family home, again, maybe you renovate it, maybe you buy, you buy a fixer upper, you renovate, you add value to the property, and then after a couple of years, then you rent out the house and you go after a duplex. Same thing. So same method. And then, so you see how you're graduating to a bigger property and a bigger property. By the time you notice you have a fourplex, a triplex, a duplex and a condo. So now at that point, you do have to do the math on it because just because you bought the first property and it allowed you to get the next, then the message would be for you to consistently do your numbers, have a spreadsheet of overhead and cash flow, and then that way you can assess the property against itself because then you have to see the return on investment on those initial properties, but then also see the investment on the return of equity. So I do have a lot of clients that bought a property, say, in Pasadena for 100,000 30 years ago. And they say, no, Sebastian, but I only put 
$3,000 down on that property. So my investment was great. Sure it was. But now the property is worth 800,000. So the equity on the property is about 700,000 and then it's going to be less minus commissions and whatever else to sell. But the return, if you have that property rented out for $2,500 a month, the return of that, uh, of that cash flow against the $800,000 of equity is very minimal. So then you have to ask yourself, can I get those $800,000, put it onto a bigger property and make a better return, right? So it's not just the return on the property and the raw numbers, but then as you grow with the property, start thinking about your return on equity also. So that's a different concept also that I think not a lot of people talk about. The next method is going to be the Burr method. Some people have heard of it is B and four R's. B R R R R. The concept is most of the time buying a fixer upper. You would buy the house, then you would renovate it. That's the first R. Then you would rent it out. That's the second R. Then you refinance it, the third R, and then you rinse and repeat. So you buy the house, you renovate, you rent, and you refinance. So the, this concept, a lot of the times, it's not, it's not going to be 100% perfect, but the perfect concept would be, I'll give you small numbers. It would be buying a property, and we're, we're talking about completely different numbers because in California, you're not going to be able to buy a house for $60,000, right? But it's just an example. So you buy the property for $60,000, then you renovate the property and you put another $15,000, $20,000 onto it. And then when you, you rent it out, and then when you refinance it, that property, the value of the property after renovations would be somewhere in the 120 to 130 range. So when you refinance it, you can refinance it for about 80 to 70% of the value. So then you're taking out everything you put onto the property. And so a perfect scenario would be that you purchase it, you renovate it, you refinance, you get all 100% of your capital back and then you rent it out. The property is creating cash flow, and now you have that money to do it all over again. And so I think with that concept, the people who get hung up on the concept are because some people cannot get 100% of their investment out of the property. And so now they're into the property $10,000, $15,000. And so now they say, oh my God, I fail. But uh, you know, it's, it's not, if you really pay attention, it's not, it's not a fail whatsoever because you put in eighty, ninety thousand dollars $90,000 and now you're into the property $10,000 after the refinance and you're still cash flowing. But it's just because their, their expectation was unrealistic. But I'll do that all day. If in Pasadena we can do that and even with bigger numbers and you're able to leave a small percentage of the, the investment into the property, but then refinance it and do that, I mean, I, I would do that all day, 100%. Thanks for listening to this short clip from Sebastian's Rental Property and Building Wealth class at Pasadena City College. This seminar is usually three hours long, and there are so many nuggets and useful information that we thought we would share it with the podcast. 
and we hope that you found it of value to you. As always, I'll leave our contact information in the show notes in case you'd like to connect one-on-one with Sebastian or have any related questions. Thanks for listening. Thank you for spending this time with us listening to the Our San Gabriel Valley podcast. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode. If you did, please subscribe, share it, and leave us a review. You can also find us at OurSanGabrielValley.com, on Instagram at OurSanGabrielValley, and of course on Facebook. Bye, guys.